Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 25th of July 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find lots of audios for free download there. You'll see a bunch of uh, sites I have, all the official sites I have listed there too. They all carry the audios for download. If you find uh, it's sticking on one, this means it's too many folk going into one at the same time and, and downloading. So you can always vary them to your, your, to your tastes so you can get the best uh, download. Remember too, they all carry transcripts in English for print-up of the talks I've given over the years. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. Remember too, you bring me to you. I don't bring it on advertisers. I'm not, I don't have uh, shares or anything in any of the products sold, etc. All I have is the books and discs that I have put out to cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And to t- keep me ticking along here, you can help uh, me do so by buying those books and discs. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders. Uh, you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through inflationary times. And that's the plan, of course, for the next few years, is inflation so much percent per year, according to the U.S. Federal Reserve. And eventually, by the time they're finished, your, your, your purchasing power of your dollar will be reduced by about a half of what it was at the start. That's really how it's all about. But again, it's all global manipulation to get us into the big system, the global system, as they standardize various currencies across the planet for final mergers down the road, because that's how it works. And I've mentioned so many times the world works like a big business plan, a plan set up and drafted up, actually, a long time ago by the richest people on the planet at the time, a 100 years ago. And uh, they decided to form a parallel government, a government uh, that would consist of so-called tax-free foundations under philanthropies. And they would employ armies of non-governmental organizations. They would set up all their greenie groups, for instance. The greenie groups are all financed by them, too, and set up by them. And they would lobby governments on, on supposedly the people's behalf. And, and governments are only too happy to oblige them, actually, for whatever they demand. Because the system we live, the system we live in now is really run by private organizations. And uh, it's very, very evident when you find that Maurice Strong, for instance, a man who was picked up as a little nobody at one time by Mr. Rockefeller himself, and uh, put into the high business world, and then put into, again, philanthropic organizations, including the United Nations. The, he set up the Earth Charter. It affects all our lives. Uh, they have massive funding now from all our governments because of it. And it's also to change the way that we live personally, down to your local level, etc., etc. Sustainability, all of that comes out of uh, Maurice Strong's charter, the, the Agenda 21, etc., 
So private organizations really run the world, and that's why it was set up this way a hundred years ago by the big foundations themselves, at least the men behind them. And they formed these institutions. One of the first ones, of course, was the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private club of very rich people. Uh, internationalists, all of them, and uh, and out of them came the other groups across the world. They have divisions for the Far East because they want a, a Pacific Rim uh, trading block, free trade, and they set up the the organisations uh, to to set up a European Union and a, a united Europe, uh, basically, which they have now too. Plus, also they've been behind with their Council on Foreign Relations division in the U.S. Uh, the amalgamation of the, the Canada, the U.S. and Mexico and other countries to Latin America over a certain time period. So uh, we're run by private organizations. People keep harping on about democracy, but we don't have it at all. To have any voice at all, you have to be- belong to one of these authorized NGO organizations. And as I say, they're authorized and even set up by the big foundations themselves. That's how the world is really run. And at the top of the tree, of course, the guys that set up these private foundations, uh, as I say at the time, uh, and even more so today, they're the richest people on the planet. And uh, they ran the banking industries. Uh, these are the same guys who introduced uh, the Bank for International Settlements, which they run, of course, a private organization again. The Bank for International Settlements uh, runs all the private central banks now across the world. And they said eventually through, through uh, the power of money itself, and the control of money, they would bring in their new world order uh, for a global society. And it's not a friendly society, believe you me. It's not hands across the sea. It's, it's basically a standardized, uh, what they want is a standardized, more efficient society, efficient that is to serve them. They want to reduce the population as well. Because we're so much into a post-consumerist society, they also came up with that, by the way, bringing us into to austerity down the road, where all your uh, spending money will go to paying for your basic essentials for food, water, uh, and also all energy, etc., etc., carbon taxes, these kind of things. So this is how the world is planned and you can go into the writings of the Club of Rome, a big think tank, because these guys own all the think tanks across the world, basically, all the biggies. And the Club of Rome came out with this idea of bringing the world together and bringing austerity under the guise of sustainability because there was too many people, etc., etc. And we would destroy the land, the climate, and all the rest of it. In fact, the Club of Rome came up with the idea, which they were given at the task of finding the idea of uniting the world through some kind of catastrophe or threat of catastrophe. And they came up with the idea of global warming would fit the bill, they said, back in the 1970s. Food, famine, drought, and global warming would fit the bill. So we're living through a planned agenda. The media, of course, knows all about this because they don't, publish much about it at all, and their job is not to keep you concentrating on what really matters. Their job is to make you think things come out of the blue, and governments get together and decide on and make decisions and laws uh, by the day, spontaneously. As nothing's further from the truth, of course, because, um, uh, as I say, these things are planned years and years and years. Everything on a major scale, on any major scale whatsoever, is planned years before the public ever hear about it. So, as I say, the, the, the big uh, shattering point for most folks is to find out there is no such thing as democracy, as I've said before. 
However, democracy is used by the same people when they want to go to war to other countries, to force democracy on other countries. What are you doing is standardizing the countries, uh, taking over the resources of the countries, especially oil and, and energy and so on. And again, bringing in a central bank system, a private central bank system, often uh, owned by the people who, who don't live in the country whatsoever, every other country but not their own. That's what the private banks are all about. And then they, they're on, then they're given massive debts, of course, through the International Monetary Fund and World Bank. Again, all set up by one institution, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And, uh, and once they're in debts, then in the same mess as the rest of the world, basically, totally towing the line to be the masters at the top. That's what the world's really about in a nutshell. And of course, at the same time, the media, uh, remember, all the moguls are members of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs, because they have to standardize the news that we all get every day. I mentioned before that news doesn't even have to tell you the truth out when all the way to the Supreme Court of the U.S., and the judge says uh, in his verdict, he says there's nothing in any law that says that the media is there to tell you any truth. But what it certainly does is keep you running in circles, as it gives you bits and pieces of information, or omits often half a story to make sure that you get the right uh, opinion on, on the topic, which of course is a wrong opinion since you're, you're omitting half of the story. That's how most of them actually do their, their thing, you see. Omission is the best way to give you false views of what's happening on any particular topic. The media, too, is also there not just to sell advertising, but also to sell you new ideas and political correctness. And it's strange that they all go into to, to gear at the same time as we go through these uh, constant revolutions since the 1960s, basically. Uh, cultural revolutions, even so much as so as to, as to promote all the gay marriage and how wonderful it is and so on and so on. All doing the same thing at the same time. You see, they're all run by the same people and the same agenda. Back after these messages. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I've mentioned over the years about autism and so on because it's such an epidemic, of course, and uh, there's only it's, it's anything to do with the, the, the body itself and changes and, and, and disease or whatever. Uh, you have to just simply do a, a detective uh, story, basically. Detectives all start off at what's changed, what's changed, and then you, you try to rule out all the things that could be involved to get the, the culprit. And of course, what's changed in all the years is, is, is the is, are the shots that the children are getting and the amount of shots that they get for a very early age. And of course, the new type of autism generally starts about uh, two, 18 months to two years when they get the, the, their, their first uh, bunch of injections or vaccinations. And, uh, and it's immediate too. The, the parents see immediately the, the eyes lose contact. The, the child will start to mention dada, mama, so things like that. They stop all together. It happens very quickly. Some of them go into shock with injections. And tonight, in fact, I'll put up a link to a woman who was on television, uh, giving her a story of what happened to her child and how the child uh, actually had to revive the child twice after the shock. And, uh, and how she treated the child too to try and get some normality back into the child after it faded away. 
and that's a typical thing that happens from, from countless people who've complained. But ever, but the thing is, too, you're up against massive money making organizations with tremendous, uh, power, uh, political power, uh, because they contribute to, to print, well, everybody and the newspapers too, they're scared to print anything. And, uh, it's a massive money making project too, because when you have, when you have private industries, and don't forget these are all businesses, Involved in government and they get the governments to, to take on either 10 years of flu supplies in advance and things like that. That's one hell of a deal to make in business and they're using government to do it. I mean, that shouldn't be allowed in the, in the, in the very beginning. Um, government's not there to, to be, to work for private businesses and take big accounts on their behalf. Everything's been turned around, you see. But here's an article that came out too, and it's in the Wall Street Journal, and, and it, again, the Wall Street disclaimer above it too, saying that the news department was not involved in the creation of this content, because they're all scared silly of being sued. Uh, it doesn't matter how much data is in it from, from people who are well qualified to say what they're saying. Uh, they, they don't, they want nothing to do with it. That's the power, the clouts of big business, you see. And lawsuits. But anyway, it says, um, a new peer review study was published in the current issue of Open Access Scientific Reports, Volume 2, Issue 3, 2013, linking the autism epidemic to the epidemic of vaccine-induced 1 diabetes. Growing evidence shows that a large percentage of cases in autism have an inflammatory or autoimmune component. The new data shows autism is strongly linked to type 1 diabetes, another epidemic uh, inflammatory disease where the epidemic has been proven to be caused by vaccines. The new paper is authored by immunologist, immunologist Jai Bart Klassen, MD. He says we've been publishing uh, for many years that vaccine-induced inflammation is causing an epidemic of type 1 diabetes and other diseases. Our new data, as well as the extensive data from others regarding the role of inflammation in the development of autism, Leaves little doubt vaccines play a significant role in the autism epidemic, says Dr. J. Bart Klassen, MD. And he goes on to, to, to say how it was done and, and all the, the studying of it and so on and so on. But it won't change anything at all, I'll guarantee you, because uh, uh, this has been happening for years and the medical establishment uh, are scared to say anything except to the party line, you might say, and because there's such big, big, big money involved in this. And, and doctors too can be struck off the list if they go against it and say anything to it, as has happened to certain ones even in Britain. But the evidence is overwhelming. So I'll put this up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and all the other links that I mentioned too, all these articles will go up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast. And also this one too, it's called Vaccines, Depression and Type 1 Diabetes Going Beyond Doctors. And this is another one too, which shows you how the, how the, the vaccinations and so on and the inflammations they cause can affect other parts of the body or even your, even your mood itself and etc. etc. That's quite a good article as well. Now, this one here is about, um, Vietnam. Vietnam's followed Japan. Japan cancelled out the Gardasil after they had adverse reactions in children. There's been so many adverse reactions. I'll put the link up for that one again, too, if I can find it. But uh, the Japanese government said enough was enough, as no amount of propaganda or persuasion from the drug companies was going to change it. The facts are the facts, and it's damaging young women. Some of them die, of course. And then we have hepatitis B vaccine is discontinued after three newborn babies die in Vietnam. This is a government program. 
and as his families of three babies who died shortly after receiving the routine hepatitis B vaccine are mourning the loss of their children. The babies vaccinated in Vietnam under the country's national expanded program of immunization died on July the 20th in the central province of Quang Tri, according to the report, it says. The Vietnamese Health Department has since opted to discontinue the use of two vaccines uh, lots in the entire country to protect the babies from a similar tragic fate. According to officials, the vaccines were not expired and were properly stored in proper temperatures and all the rest of it. They were administered by a nurse with over 20 years of experience. And it says on July 21st, the nation's health minister, Nguyen Tai Kim Tien, sent her condolences to the families of the disease instance, ordering vaccine experts to investigate the tragedy. Preliminary investigations have identified anaphylactic shock as a cause of death. The chairperson of the vaccine program has asked parents to keep calm and continue vaccinating their children. So anyway, uh, the thing is too, uh, this can only be passed on, the hepatitis B, but again, you're talking about, uh, uh, I mean, young children, babies are not into injecting drugs into their bloodstreams. And that's one way of getting the, the, the hep B virus. And it's the same thing too with, uh, they aren't having promiscuous sex and things like that. So why, why are they getting it in the first place? But again, you understand, uh, you've big, big pharma companies on the backs of governments, and of course they donate, they donate well to people who campaign to get into politics, and, and these characters are guaranteed to back them up when uh, anything happens, and that's what happens especially in the US. Big money uh, financing people who run for Congress. Big money. Also too, this article is not bad at all, it's called The Power of the Big Banks. And it says, are the big banks really as powerful as some people say they are? Do they really control the global economy? If you ask most people, they tell you the governments control the economy. But the campaigns of politicians are funded by the ultra-wealthy, the big banks, and the large corporations that they control. Others would tell you that the Federal Reserve and the rest of the central banks around the world control the global economy. But the truth is that the Federal Reserve was established by the bankers and for the benefit of the bankers. As you'll see below, at the very core of the global economy, there exists a super entity of financial institutions that control an almost unimaginable amount of wealth and power. These financial institutions and the ultra-wealthy individuals behind them are really the ones that are pulling all the strings. In this world, money equals power, and the borrower is the servant of the lender. And this article actually has a lot of links in it too, to, to give you details of, of the corporations and the banks all involved. And there's a stack of them, of course. It's all the famous, famous uh, names too. This is, the following is a list of 50 of the most connected companies from the study and the notes in the parenthesis are from Chris Martinson. And it goes through Barclays Bank and the cattle group of companies, investment management, FMR corporations and so on, were run by big um, banking institutions and investment institutions that don't make anything except money and misery for everyone else, by the way. But this is a long, long list, and it's well worth reading. And I, I've never understood why countries in the first place have uh, private uh, banks, central banks running them, because uh, they, they run for their own people, the people who have the shares in them. And these shares, believe you me, don't go up on the market for everyone to bid on. It's all done in private. And they run our whole futures, our lives, everything. Something's vastly wrong right there. But again, there's a long history to the creation of the central banking systems, and folks should start doing their work on it, and it's very, very interesting indeed. 
I'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. As I said at the beginning of the broadcast that uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs was set up by the richest people on the planet as a private uh, so-called not-for-profit organization uh, for the parallel government that would run the world. Uh, these are the, it's the same organization that's set up, as I've said before, um, the League of Nations, the United Nations, and, and uh, the Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, and also the World Bank as well. So uh, they're heavily involved. And they said themselves, eventually they'd run the world just by the, the force of, of money. They would control all the cash around the world for investments and everything. The force of money itself would be the big, uh, the big stick, you might say. So here it says here, too, that uh, central banks are told enough is enough in a call that says continued stimulus measures will hurt financial stability. Now, they said eventually that the Bank for International Settlements, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they said eventually it would come up to its proper position, uh, giving up more um, orders to the rest of the central banks as it took over to its proper position, the same as the IMF, too, which will do every country's books for them, in fact, which is happening in Europe. But it's set here, it says here, as its governments around the world, including the UK, have been warned in an influential new report to stop relying on their central banks to kickstart growth. In other words, they've told the private central banks, which they control actually, um, uh, they've told them to stop lending to governments themselves. Just days before Sir Mervyn King uh, hands over the keys of the Bank of England to successor Mark Carney, again all trained by Bo- uh, Goldman Sachs, the Bank of International Settlements, which represents the world's central banks. Well, we didn't get to vote on it. I mean, uh, we've never heard about it until it was developed and set up. A long time ago, by the way, but no one heard about it getting set up. It's all done in private by private, the private bankers themselves. So its members have already done enough to aid a recovery, and more stimulus measures would only hurt financial stability. In the same week that Ben Bernanke, uh, chairman of America's Federal Reserve, signaled an end to quantitative easing, which is inflation, the BIS called for banks to step back. In its annual meeting in Basel, the BIS general manager, Jimmy Caruana said, extending monetary stimulus is taking the pressure off those who need to act. Ultra-low interest rates encourage the build-up of even more debt. In fact, total debt, private and public, has generally increased as a share of GDP since 2007. In its annual report, the BIS said, after all, cheap money makes it easier to borrow than to save, easier to spend than to tax, and easier to remain the same than to change. Caruana lombasted firms and households as well as the public sector for not making good use of the time bought by ultra-loose monetary policy. He said this has ended up by creating a new financial strain and delaying rather than encouraging necessary economic adjustments. The BIS, also known as the Central Bankers Club, which it is, by the way, I've done articles on before, on radio, on, 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 the, on the BIS, at their, their monthly meetings, the ones that attend it, uh, and their luxury places in Switzerland and so on. This is one of the few organizations to foresee the global financial crisis that erupted in 2008. It says, uh, 
Since the beginning of the financial crisis, central banks have supported the global economy with unprecedented measures. Without these forceful and determined policy responses, the global financial system could have easily collapsed, bringing the world economy down with it. So again, they're hyping up what they brought on themselves, actually. They want this to happen, to give themselves more power to start dictating more publicly to the general populations of the world. That's what they're doing here. And it says, uh, but easy financial conditions can only do so much to revitalize long-term growth when balance sheets are impaired and resources are misallocated on a large scale. Central banks have borrowed the time that the private and public sectors need for adjustment, but they cannot substitute for it. Now, don't forget, too, that the guys who set up the, the BIS, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, are, are the same guys who have drafted up all the free trade agreements, uh, which, again, uh, you must admit, you understand that free trade means that when you sign agreements with, with these third world countries, they are allowed to still tax your imports or exports into those countries, but you cannot do so as a first world country when they want to put their, their cheap stuff into your country. Now, that means your countries are losing a lot of taxation, which is, is then shifted onto the general population through other tax measures. That's what's happening as taxes go up and up and up. Free trade brings on massive tax increase at home to make up for the loss of import duties from foreigners bringing stuff into the country. But I'll put this article up tonight. It's much longer, of course, for those who want to read it. But this is what's happening. As I said, it's all going to plan. Everything's going to plan, folks. And they said eventually they would, they would make this happen as they rose to the top, became more open about the fact that they didn't exist uh, and, uh, and, and we're getting all that stuff today. And the power, the clouts of their orders to the private central banks will end up running the whole world. You have this, the main say. Who controls the money controls the world. Very simple. And article 2 in the U.S. And remember, too, the U.S., like most, most countries in the West, have been devastated by free trade. Because um, under free trade, and again, the private World Trade Organization, all set up, also set up by the same guys who set up the World Bank and so on, uh, decided to give China pretty well all of the factories. It was decided over many, many years, quietly, uh, kept up away from the general populations, any knowledge of this happening. And yet they worked with the Sherpas. Sherpas are, are bureaucrats sent out by every government involved that draft up the treaties, the dual negotiations and so on. Then when the G20 get together, they sign them into law. It's all done over many, many years by the Sherpas. And they actually have a Sherpa site if you want to look them up too. But... um this article, as I say, ties into to what's happening here. It says, for every job the White House claims to have created, which is 7.2 million now. Now, the, 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 first off the bat, government doesn't create jobs. Government can't, you know, it's not its job, it's, it's not its job to create jobs. The only jobs it creates is for its own growing, like cancerous growing departments. All, all countries in the West are like that. To bring in big socialist governments will manage every family across the planet, every individual across the planet, eventually, uh, with all their laws and rules and regulations. That's what it's for. But it says here, 7.2 million now. Uh, two more Americans were added to the nation's food stamp program, the federal statistics reveal. So for every job supposedly created, I guess at McDonald's or wherever, because nothing's getting made at homes anymore, it's all getting done abroad in China, we import everything that's made 
and uh, uh, so, so there's two folk getting going on food stamps. In January of 2009, more than 32 million Americans received help from Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which doles out food stamps. In April 2013, the number grew to almost 48 million. That means almost 16 million more Americans have jumped on the food stamp bandwagon since President Obama took office in 2008, Breitbart reported. Meanwhile, the White House recently claimed the creation of 7.2 million jobs. As is do the math, the ratio of food stamp recipients to job creation under Mr. Obama since 2008 is 2 to 1. Meanwhile, Breitbart reported an estimated 9.5 million workers have dropped from the labor force, just dropped off given up their job searches since Mr. Obama assumed the White House. Another 1.6 million signed up to collect disability insurance. And um, understand, too, that this is a, sta- a kind of standard article you'll read from all the countries that, are, that have been that are really suffering through free trade, so-called free trade. Remember, too, it's your duty for the first world countries when you sign on uh, these agreements to finance. Uh, you know, America is still financing for hospitals to be built in China. And lots of other aid programs to so-called third, because they're still calling them a third world country. Even though they're, they're the main producer, manufacturer of the whole planet right now. And every other country that they've signed on to the free trade. Now you've got the Pacific, uh, free trade deal through too. And lots of other countries are now getting aid to build hospitals, schools, and you name it, and so on and so on. That's what you, it involves more than just trade, believe you me. Plus it also means not just the free trade of goods, it also has written into it the free movement of goods and labor. That means you cannot stop people from those countries, just like Europe, coming in and getting looking for work and so on. You can't stop them. That's part of the free trade agreement. Again, the free trade agreement was a big stick put out by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. A long time ago. So I'll also put this link up tonight too for those that want to go through it. Another thing that touches on eugenics, because eugenics has been with us for an awful long time, and um, some things are common sense, other things aren't, so quite clearly cut. And you find there's always been a battle in education uh, with socialism too, uh, trying to say that everyone is exactly the same. Of course, we're not all exactly the same, either in height or anything else. But uh, this is a kind of the socialist uh, conformity thing that everybody's supposedly supposed to be the same, etc., etc. We're not at all. Everything's different. Everybody's different. You have your strong points and your weak points and so on. But it says here, research shows that inherited intelligence may account for almost 60% of teenagers' scores in their GCSEs that's in, in Britain, while other factors such as school performance only sway results by a third. The study, based on the long-term analysis of more than 11,000 twins born in England and Wales in the mid-90s, suggests that genes may actually have a larger bearing on children's educational achievement as they grow up. And I'll continue with this one. It's quite interesting when we come back after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, back uh, talking about basically genes. Uh, your, your genes basically actually have something to do with your intelligence, I think quite naturally too. But it says here that um, the study is based on a long-term analysis of more than 11,000 twins born in England and Wales in the mid-90s. Professor Robert 
Plowman from the Institute of Psychiatry at King's College London, who carried out the study, has now been called in the Department of Education to brief ministers and senior officials on the outcomes of his research. It's believed that the Department of Education is seriously considering how some of the findings may be used to influence education reforms in the future, and are they going to slash the school systems big time too, as we go down the tubes. This is an interview with the Spectator. Professor Plummer insists the educational establishment has been too quick to dismiss the influence of genetics for fear of labelling children. And it's true enough that you'll end up getting uh, class A, B, C, D, E children and so on, as it was in one t- at one time. That's what they did. But he said that his findings had important applications, allowing education to be tailored to children's individual needs rather than being delivered in a one-size-fits-all way. Some form of genetic scanning may eventually allow schools to identify pupils with particular academic weaknesses at an early age, he said. And this is all the, the rage these days. Uh, the, the, the genes basically have everything, your whole personality, all that involved in it too, and that you're born with it, etc. There's no doubt at all that your immediate environment can also affect uh, your personality and uh, how calm you are or how hyper you are too, depending on the state at home and things like that as well, or even the area you live in. But it says, um, if, uh, it says if we can read a child's genome, we can predict and prevent disease. If we can read their DNA, we can tailor the teaching to help a child, a child with learning dis- uh, difficult, uh, difficulties. Now, they're doing this also in medicine too. Uh, they're trying to push this into all medicine as well uh, in order to get everybody labeled. Now, this is genetics and eugenics in, in action. And, of course, eugenics eventually has the mission, basically, to start to um, label everybody and classify everybody with potential weaknesses for specific diseases and so on down the road, etc., etc. They're calling it tailor-made medicine, and it's all the rage. I guess a big money-making thing, and uh, it'd be unfortunate if they start to do this because I think two out of every three tests they do ends up, when it goes under various other studies, ends up being wrong. But that won't matter in all of the enthusiasm that's being generated right now by big business at the top. And also, too, um, I said in the U.S., it says generic emergency contraception. This is the, the, the day after where the child can go in and buy, uh, I think, over-the-counter uh, after a certain age. I don't know what age is, if it's 16 or 18. Uh, that Basically, it's an abortion pill is what it is. But it says the age restrictions remain in place. It says, but the FDA and the U.S. rules, which are always working for big pharma, uh, rules that Plan B one step will be the only drug available to women of any age without prescription despite its bigger price. And it says Plan B one step is one of the brands known as the manufacturers of generic versions of emergency contraception. And they'll have to wait till 2016 to sell their product according to the ruling. Now, what the U.S. has really done, or the FDA, is given one uh, company uh, that makes this drug the right to sell it. They've given them the whole market. And there's many other companies which are actually cheaper, but it doesn't matter. In fact, this country is based in Israel. Uh, they've got the contract for it. And they, they make lots of generics in Israel. And I'll put I'll have a link up for that tonight, too. But it says, Americans' unrestricted access to emergency contraception is facing a new challenge after the Food and Drug Administration ruled that generic versions of the drug will still be subject to an earlier age restriction that was struck down by the federal judge in April. Until April 2016, Teva Pharmaceuticals Plan B, one step, will, that's the one in Israel, actually, will be the only one of emergency contraception available to women of any age in the U.S. without a prescription. 
the FDA announced on Monday. Generic versions of the pill will start be, to be available for sale, but they will be subject to age restrictions. It means that people under 17 will only be allowed to buy generic versions of the time-sensitive drug with a prescription uh, plan B. One step costs about $50. The generic versions cost between $35 and $40. Actually, they should be an awful lot cheaper because it, it, like, it, it costs them pennies to make each one. I mean pennies. But again, we're, we live in the age of massive greed at the top as they maximize their profits. But a federal judge ruled in April that the pill should be made available over the counter to women of all ages in the U.S., but faced an appeal from the U.S. government in a bill a bit to stall the action from taking place. Andrea Costello, senior staff attorney at the Partnership for Civil Justice, who represented plaintiffs in the case, said that the FDA's decision is an unjustified reward to a drug company, he says. And, of course... A lot of strings will have been pulled and maybe a lot of payments made to certain people to, to make sure that drug company got the business. There's no doubt about that too. Or an awful lot of favours owed. I guarantee you. Also, as we go into this age of uh, big, big, big brother, really big brother, this is anti-social behaviour, they call it ASBO or something in Britain. Crime and Policing Bill in Britain, HC Bill 7. It says the anti-social behaviour crime and policing bill uh, is page 20. If you're engaged in conduct that's lawful under section 220 of the Trade Union and Labour Relations Consolidation Act of 1992, peaceful picketing or taking part in a public procession of the kind mentioned in subsection 1, yada yada yada, uh, writ, uh, says written notice has been given in accordance with that section or written notice is not required to be given as provided by subsections etc. It goes through all the laws now that policemen themselves can enforce, they decide really who's guilty and not guilty of these one-time minor offences. And it gives surrender of property. A constable who gives a person a direction under Section 33 may also direct the, the person to surrender to the constable any item in the person's possession or control the constable reasonably believes has been used or is likely to be used in behaviour that harasses, alarms or distresses members of the public. It could be a comic book phone, you know. And it goes on and on and on. It's quite a lengthy, lengthy article with this law. Uh, the, the new powers that the police themselves have been given. This is without juries or anything else. They decide that they are guilty. And that's an awful lot of power to hand to the cops. But that's the future we're, 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 we're growing up in or we're born into. Uh, is to be totalitarian uh, and, and micromanaged. Every individual is to be micromanaged in this new system. And it's to be worldwide, remember. Also, the thing that caused the big uh, mortgage crash the last time, the big housing bubble and so on, is back again. In no time at all, they're doing the same old dodges. Just up in arms, adjustable rate mortgage applications are set to soar to pre-2008 or, uh, or 2008 pre-Lemon Mania levels. Since earlier today, the Mortgage Bankers Association reported that mortgage applications dropped another 1.2%, declining for the sixth consecutive week and at the tenth of the past eleventh, which has all but put a nail in the coffin of the housing so-called recovery. For some perspective on why, they give you a link to see what happened. But says, but does that mean that as demand for mortgages dries up on even the smallest bounce in interest rates, 
that unless one is flush with cash, one is shut out of the housing market. Not at all. It says the reason for that is that as demand for conventional mortgages plunges, demand for unconventional ones, the ones that started the, the, the big bubble in the first place, those which were marked the, the mania phase of the last housing bubble, adjustable rate mortgages are called, are back to 2008 levels. According to Bloomberg, in the last week of June, the dollar value represented by ARM, ARM applications, accounted for 16% of mortgage requests, the highest share since July 2008, two months before Lehman Brothers Holdings collapsed, according to Mortgage Bankers Association in Washington. As I reported that the second uh, to last puzzle piece in the credit bubble clicked into place now that the second loans are raging just like they did in 2005, so today perhaps the final missing piece of Bernanke's second great debt bubble has been found as Americans now scramble to buy that house, oblivious of what may happen down the road and why worry after all Bernanke will bail them out too when the time comes. So the same scams are distributed over and over and over by the bankers because we live at a time of unprecedented greed and maximizing profits. It's not everything you purchase. Everything's cut back to the bare bones. All products are too, even though they're owned by different companies based in China and many of them owned by company, Chinese companies too. When you write down to small engines or anything you purchase, you're buying junk. With, with their brand names were used to for years when they were made in America and elsewhere. They're made of junk. They've cut back, cut corners in every possible way they, they can. And the, the carbon taxes, which are really uh, trialed out in Australia, is for the rest of the world to follow. I've said it before, you're, you're spending money eventually. It will all go to beer essentials. It's this big carbon tax bill on Australian fruit. Now, this is all passed out to the consumer, remember. The largest apple and pear grower and packer in the country paid $350,000 of carbon tax last year. This is one company. Carbon tax. What's carbon tax for? For Al Gore and all the rest of these scam artists at the top that they make money off it all? You better believe it. And we're back with more tomorrow. So from here is myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your God school with you.